and welcome to Dead by Dawn, an Evil Dead podcast. I'm Anna Bogutskaya. I'm Mike Munzer. And I'm Chris Hewitt. And across this limited series podcast, we're going to crack open the Necronomicon and explore the world of the Evil Dead in anticipation of Evil Dead Rise out in cinemas on the 21st of April. And in this episode, we'll be diving into how Fede Alvarez reimagined the Evil Dead in 2013 and what Lee Cronin has brought to the franchise this year with the upcoming Evil Dead Rise. It was the perfect day. And all I could think about was how much I wanted to cut you all open and then climb inside your bodies so that we could stay one happy family. <laughs> so, uh, the way this is going to work later on in this episode, you will hear our interviews with the director of Evil Dead Rise, Lee Cronin. Also, cast members Alyssa Sutherland and Lily Sullivan will be chatting to us as well. Those interviews will be spoiler-free, but then off the back of that, Chris, Anna and I will be discussing Evil Dead Rise in spoilerific detail, so you have been warned. But first of all, before we get to Evil Dead Rise, let's talk about the 2013 Evil Dead reboot directed by Fede Alvarez. Please stop. I will rip your soul out, Daddy. I'll rip your soul out, you pathetic fuck! So... Let's dive, first of all, into the first Evil Dead movie uh, of the 21st century, Evil Dead from 2013. This is going to get confusing, guys. Yeah, we're going to have some <laughs> so trouble. We're going to say Evil Dead about the 2013 version, not The Evil Dead from 1981. The right? article is very important. There'll be no thes in this conversation, <laughs> okay, because we are going to be talking about Evil Dead 2013. And oh, how many mentions am I allowed of Evil Dead 2? <laughs> you, you, get your, you get your three uses. Three? <laughs> Yes. That's ungroovy, man. I know, I know. That's not a mention. The, no, no, that, that wasn't a mention. That doesn't that was, count. That was That's... a play on pun. Should, we, should we put a cap on the groovies as well? Or is that too cruel? <gasps> I, I, you can't cap my groovies, Anna. <laughs> Obviously, this had been, there'd been, what, a 20-year gap since uh, Army of Darkness. A lot had changed in horror, right? What, what did you guys think of this kind of new take on the franchise with Evil Dead 2013? Very violent, mm. very nasty. And I'm not saying this as a negative necessarily, quite humorless. Yes. It is absolutely uninterested in any comedy value whatsoever. So it did feel like a like more of a direct descendant of torture porn horror than necessarily the evil dead. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of J horror in there as well, in terms of the the main baddie who shows up right at the end and you know, as one of those nightmare visions from the likes of the the Grudge or or the Ring. It was, it was very interesting. We we talked in the last episode about how one of the things that sets the Deadites and the Evil Dead movies apart is that not quip tastic quality that the Deadites bring, but the fact that they have a bit of a, a bit of a sense of humor, a bit of mocking malevolence to them. And in this movie, that's gone. They're just brutal and intense, and they're not gonna sit necessarily on the floor like Linda did, cackling away, doing, frankly, next to nothing in the first Evil Dead, just cackling away. Uh, nothing nothing like that happens in this movie. It's all very, very stabby. Mm. There's an intensity to the stabbiness. It's really, really brutal. There's a cartoonish quality to the violence in the second Evil Dead movie and the and Army of Darkness, and that's gone here. This is a real peek through the fingers yeah. movie. 
It is, and exactly like you guys said, I think it's it feels much more akin to the the horror that we were getting through the two thousands, like you mentioned, Dana. That kind of so called torture porn era. Movies by James Wan, Eli Roth. There is almost a cabin fever Eli Roth vibe to this. Definitely a bit of J horror. The long black hair, the black goop coming out of mm-hmm. mouths, and that kind of thing. And also, kind of an, an interesting. You know, this is twenty thirteen, and we were just in the early stages of this new wave of horror as well. That was kind of allegorical in a way. I mean, I guess all horror has always been allegorical, but it became more overt in you know shortly after this with movies like The Babadook onwards. And this is a movie we talked about how the original Evil Dead trilogy wasn't really interested in subtext. It was it was doing what it was doing for pure entertainment value. This is a movie actually about addiction, right? And about cold turkey and and, it, and it's it's tackling some more serious themes, I suppose, with its horror, which kind of makes it stand out from the rest. Yeah, I think the the timing of it, it sort of has one foot in the I shall not be using the term elevated horror because I <laughs> physiologically and philosophically disagree with it. But um, this sort of allegorical art house horror that came out and broke out really in 2014 with yep. the release of The Babadook and A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and other kind of smaller releases like Honeymoon, mm. that's when it started really um, being noticed and being written about and kind of achieving a lot of festival and audience success as well. And the previous era, which was a lot more grueling, physical, more like horror as an endurance test. And here, the evil that kind of tries to live sort of in between both worlds, because it's trying to tackle these ideas about addiction and recovery and kind of the how, um, you know, our main character, Mia, is sort of ostracized even by her friends because she's an addict and kind of the the visceral experience of going through a detox Mm. while at the same time just wanting to indulge in the violence and their grotesquerie of it all which is one of the main criticism that has been levied against kind of the the early 2000s era of um, Eli Roth and Mm. the Saw movies and kind of the torture porn era yeah the, the Saw movie thing is very apparent isn't it I think you know that moment of a main character cutting off their own arm which is you can look at that side by side with Ash cutting off his own arm in Evil Dead 2 and just how tonally and visually different they are right it's much more akin to a character sawing off his own leg in the Saw movies for example than it is that over the top redder than red Evil Dead 2 kind of vibe you know I think it's it's a really obvious kind of difference there yeah yeah, it's really icky and visceral and violent and actually makes you recoil from the screen in a way that it, it does wasn't in the second Evil Dead movie, uh, which yes. just happens, of course, Mike, to be the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> I just want to get that in there. Uh, but I don't think that's necessarily to the film's detriment. It's a very squalid movie, list. You really feel the decay. Like Mia talks about smelling the sense of decay early on. And you, I think you can feel that. This feels like a set. It's a really, really beautifully put together set. Not like the cabin in the original Evil Dead, where it was just literally a shithole. But, <laughs> but here is a beautifully art designed with an inch of its life uh, cabin in the woods, which feels really like it's just like it's falling apart, and you can feel that that you can feel the rot almost in the movie. It's a gore chic. It is. Gore chic. It is gore chic. <laughs> Score for Binsky. I don't know what that means. 
<laughs> yeah, and I think there's a, there's a what's nice about it too is that you know we were in an era where it was much easier these days for directors to use a lot of CGI, but actually Fede Alvarez did insist on a lot of practical effects, and there really were you gallons and gallons it. and buckets and buckets of real blood in this movie, and you can feel that. I think, you can can't absolutely you? feel it. You end up feeling drenched yeah. by the end of of the runtime. It's also interesting that it. It does really set itself apart for all of those reasons from every other Evil Dead film, including, I'd say, Evil Dead Rise, which we'll talk about um, at length in a bit. But it's also notably the first Evil Dead movie that doesn't include Ash Mm -hmm. as a character or Mm -hmm. even outside of a a post-credit scene, even Bruce Campbell. Mm, yeah, I, I think that's one of the other really interesting things about this movie. We've lost that kind of goofy, wacky hero um, from the original trilogy. You know, there is no, like you say, there is no Bruce Campbell. It's our main character is Mia in this film, right? Who is she's really going through something. Olivia, I feel like I'm losing my mind. I will go through with this, okay? I just, I can't do it here, Mia. We've decided we're not going to take you back. We can't lose you again. We're going to have to stick it out this time. It's also quite unusual to have a woman at the centre of an Evil Dead film, right? I mean, we'll talk about this more with the Evil Dead Rise, but Mia in Evil Dead 2013, this was the first time that we had a woman at the front and centre of a movie, and and it's very much telling a a woman's story. Totally, and and you know... She's also a a problematic protagonist in so many ways because, again, she kind of, we meet her and she is at the end of her tether. She's being put through essentially this intervention, this forced detox by her friends. We really feel kind of the addiction kind of ravaging her. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of, a lot of the... um, the violence from from the film kind of also comes from this just something being put into the flesh kind of it's a lot of close-up violence as well as the buckets and buckets of blood Mm. and the fact that it's kind of rooted in this very in this very real imagery of addiction makes it a little bit more grounded than any other film and the fact that we're with this with this character with Mia who is physically and psychologically suffering before anything unholy or evil even gets involved it just it kind of it's it's like making you endure everything with her before everything even starts happening which is it's a painful viewing experience to be honest and i do kind of wonder like does it work as she survives as she um starts kind of chopping things to pieces <laughs> Is it is it trying to do that kind of gender flipping of a male character into a female character because then it's trendy? Mm. Or is it just putting another female character through an absolute ringer of suffering before and after the supernatural events of the movie? There's a vaguely icky interpretation of the film as well in that it seems to suggest that because she has been addicted to heroin, it seems that it, it's heroin, um, and certainly she's addicted to drugs, and she's OD'd in the past and died briefly. Yeah. It seems to suggest that because of those experiences that she's actually more susceptible to the possession and she's more susceptible to detecting what's going on in the in the cabin, you know, and, and sort of communing on some level with the evil. She can sense that there's something there when, when no one else can. Mm. That feels a little vaguely icky to me. Also, structurally, I think the movie is quite interesting in that 
for a long time she's not the main character. Right, that's David, true. David, her brother, is the main character. And I thought that was an interesting flip towards the end. Uh, and I think that relationship actually works really, really nicely. The fact that you get the sense that they would do anything for each other and they, you know, and there's, there is a, a sense of palpable loss there when he, spoiler alert, dies in the movie, which I don't think you get with Cheryl and Ash. It's very easy, I think, in the first Evil Dead movie, as great as it is, to forget their brother and sister. Yes. Because Ash sure, sure does. <laughs> like, he's like, oh, my sister's dead. Oh, well. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Get over that so, pretty quickly. You're so right about that. And actually, I think it's true, you know, there's that parallel to the first film in that it does flip your expectations slightly because we talked about how it was quite surprising that Ash emerged as the hero at the end of The Evil Dead. And in Evil Dead, maybe because we have that brother-sister relationship and the film almost sets up that he's going to be our hero and that he's actually gets more on screen time than her through through the bulk of the film she's almost the Cheryl character right she's yep. hidden away in the basement possessed Cackling but then away. emerges as as the hero at the end as well so it's a nice little flip on expectations there I think and did you feel like when that this film was trying to set up a new trilogy perhaps with yeah. me at the center of it absolutely I think I think there were plans at one point so there is an extended edition uh, in which Mia is, we, we get to see what happens because at the end of this movie, she just kind of walks away. Hopefully she's cauterized that wound, otherwise she's not going to get very far. <laughs> yes. Well, she walks away. Uh, or maybe maybe the blood from the sky goes straight into her wound and, and heals everything. I don't know how these things work. I'm not a doctor. Anyway, <laughs> so she walks away and then it ends on a shot of the Necronomicon or the Naturum de Monto or whatever name they've chosen for it this time around. Yes. That's how this one ends. But in the extended edition, there's a scene where she's picked up by a trucker. And if I remember rightly, I did some interviews around this time when the movie came out. And I'm pretty sure the idea was that that trucker was going to be Ash. That that was the idea that Bruce Campbell was going to do that, but they couldn't quite make it work for scheduling reasons or budget reasons or whatever reason they couldn't do it. So in the end, they, they pivoted to the fairly pointless but exciting uh, intimation that Ash exists in this universe at the end when he shows up at the at the end of the movie in a post credit sting and he looks at the camera and says groovy, um, and that I think was meant to be the 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 signal for a new trilogy. Groovy. You never know. I saw a picture today on an Evil Dead Reddit uh, or an Evil Deadit. I, I don't know <laughs> of Jane Levy with the uh, the stars of Evil Dead Rise, Lily Sullivan and Alyssa Sutherland. So that doesn't feel like something that's just happened. I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. So are we to believe then, and we'll get to this with Evil Dead Rise in a bit, but is Evil Dead 2013 actually taking place in the same universe as the original trilogy? Is that what you guys get from this? Is it a sequel or is it a reboot or is it something in between? I think it was aiming for all of the above. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? yeah. Because the, you know, outside of Ash, the one unifier is the Naturum de Monto, is the book. Yeah. But it expands a little bit more in the mythology, which is something that the previous trilogy, the original trilogy, doesn't really care that much about. Mm. You know, it's, you know, the, 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 evil doppelganger is given a name you know it's the abomination and they spend quite a lot of time with the the mechanics of this curse like does it work to expand that that much because one of the things that we talked about in the first episode that works a lot works really well with the original trilogy so it doesn't really care that much how the deadites come into being mm. or what they do outside of possessing their intruders it it kind of just is 
Yeah. And that in itself is quite a powerful and that a powerful aspect that separates it from other franchises that doesn't try to whirl itself into over explaining the rules of the Natura de Monto. Mm. Yeah, I think it's uh, it is that's an interesting thing about this is that the original films Sam Raimi was so interested in the the visuals, the action, the style. This movie it has some beautiful visuals and style, but it, it feels like a movie that is that is concentrating more on the thematic stuff, the character motivations, maybe a bit more of the mythology and and so the sort of text and subtext, I suppose, as opposed to just the out and out balls to the wall entertainment maybe that the first three movies are. Well, even just a very fact that their character arcs right alone <laughs> exactly I mean this you know I'm not going to diss the greatest movie ever made Evil Dead 2 of course not as one mentioned uh, <laughs> and but you know the characters are you know with the best will in the world and if I can be slightly critical of it not the most fleshed out <laughs> we don't have a lot of great arcs I mean I enjoy seeing those characters um, sometimes in in one piece and sometimes in lots of pieces but you know not even Ash Ash's Ash's arc at the end of the, from Evil Dead 2 is basically he's a look it goes on holiday at the beginning of the movie and at the end he is Dirty Harry and everyone else just doesn't really have a character mm. by the end of the film so but here there are there are distinct arcs to pretty much all the characters uh, which I thought was interesting yeah, and I think what's interesting as well, we talked about how The Evil Dead from 1981 kind of designed the Cabin in the Woods format, right? Whereas now, obviously, by 2013, that is such a familiar setting and subgenre in a way. We've literally had the movie The Cabin in the Woods by this point. We've had Tucker and Dale versus Evil by this point. We've had these movies that sort of play on the tropes of these it's sorts of movies. It's become a cliche in and of itself. Yeah, so how does it bring something new to the table? And I think that's interesting, and I think it does it by maybe like you said um, Anna it's kind of easing us into this newer era of horror that is going a little bit deeper into the characters and into the kind of internal struggles of the characters more than just the monsters in the woods I suppose. I guess though the question is what do you come to an Evil Dead movie for? Right exactly exactly I come for the gore chic and the faceless monsters in the woods not for the character development (laughs) <laughs> it's true it's true but at the same time I love that it does bring it back to being a scary horror experience again mm-hmm. which is something that we you that could argue we change. haven't had since 1981 you know whether or not you'd, you'd say Evil Dead 2 is a genuinely frightening film that's up to interpretation but I think since the original Evil Dead we haven't had a movie that has really tried to just terrify us and gross us out in the way that this Evil Dead did, I think. Yeah, it's a really intense film, this. There is such an intensity to this. And I, I think the fact that they moved so far away from the, the comedy horror stylings of Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness uh, is very, very interesting. If you, if you remember, the poster had the tagline, the most terrifying film you will ever experience, which is very much that kind of bold, confident statement, the ultimate experience in grueling terror, where we're not backing down, This is this movie's going to shit you up in all the right ways uh, and I thought it was I thought that for the most part it does I can smell your filthy soul and I think this is the unifier of both Evil Dead 2013 and Evil Dead Rise mm. is that they're actually forgoing the humor and going full tilt on the horror yeah. and you know to start kind of easing us into a conversation about Evil Dead Rise 
horror has also changed a lot in the 10 years since Fede Alvarez's film and Lee Cronin's film. So we can even kind of see what was considered scary and proper horror in 2013 is quite different from what we consider to be chilling in 2023 yeah yeah absolutely it's a really interesting point and yeah maybe this is a good chance to move into our interviews i uh, had a little chat with the director of evil dead rise lee cronin and i asked him a little bit about that about what he wanted to bring to the table for the evil dead franchise that we hadn't seen before and how did he put this new unique spin on the franchise. Um, so you're going to hear that chat with Lee first of all. That's a completely spoiler-free interview. And then you're going to hear Anna's interview with the two lead cast members of the film, Alyssa Sutherland and Lily Sullivan. Also completely spoiler-free. A very warm welcome to the writer-director of Evil Dead Rise, Lee Cronin. Hello, Lee. Lovely to see you. Very nice to see you again. How are you doing? I'm really good, thank you. Really good. And congratulations on Evil Dead Rise. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. It's been a journey. I bet. I bet. Tell us a little bit about this journey then. How did you come to be the man to write and direct a new Evil Dead movie? Uh, The starting point, terrifyingly, was four years ago. Uh, Movie making is not a fast business in certain ways. So I I met with Sam Raimi right after um, the world premiere of my debut feature film, The Hole in the Ground at Sundance. And I met with Sam in LA. He had seen the movie at a press screening and had shown great interest in having a conversation with me about the variety of things that he was looking to produce, but also what I might have on my agenda. But what it all boiled down to conversation-wise was, you know, me explaining my... um, my love for for the Evil Dead movies and him being surprised by the fact that that was something I might be interested in doing. But when he heard that I, I was interested, um, and he he was very much uh, engaged and and wanted to, for me to talk more and to have a serious think about what it is I might do, you know, in terms of moving the franchise forward in a certain way or telling a new type of story. Wrote the screenplay on my bed during the first phase of COVID in in, in twenty twenty. So we sold the movie to the studio late later that year. And then by February of the following year, I'm in New Zealand for eight months and then another eight or nine months of post afterwards. And yeah, you have more gray hair and you're like, where did the last three or four years go? I love that. Wow. So tell me then, how did this idea come about of kind of, you know, where to take the franchise, I suppose, moving the action from a cabin in the woods to a high rise apartment and centering it on a family? Yeah, I I think like it was, I'm always drawn to stories about family. I'm always drawn to stories about um, domestic circumstance and especially in the context of how you can play around with horror in those worlds it's it's a beautiful shortcut to connect with people which is to put them somewhere familiar with people that they identify with and I remember thinking not everybody has necessarily gone and stayed in a cabin in the woods in their lives but everybody has had a format of home that they may or may not understand and a format of family that they may understand so um, I was drawn to that place and I was drawn to telling a story um about um yeah about about a, f- a fragile family and fragile people and in a way looking at the way the world is right now everybody's been through the ringer like i wrote i said i wrote the script on my bed during the first phase of covid so i felt claustrophobic and trapped and at that point we didn't even really know how bad it was going to be there was no vaccines and i remember thinking that was kind of the evil breathing on my front door right outside the door i remember even working on it a friend of mine saying I've read that, like, even if you don't go outside, like, you know, you know, the virus could get through your letterbox, that kind of madness that existed. And so I was writing this script and thinking about people that are kind of trapped. And it's like, if you're already fragile and then evil knocks on your door, that's a pretty, pretty dark place to tell a story. 
and then also was was really interested in looking at some maternal fears, both through a mother who is is now a single mom with with three kids and what her next steps are in terms of where they're going to live and what they're going to do. And then, you know, somebody that maybe has the opportunity to become a mother and whether it's the right choice for them. It just felt like an interesting and kind of different territory to tell an evil dead story, but just as worthy because there's the humanity versus this malevolent force. And the more human people are, then the more malevolent that force can be. And it felt like it was a great platform to um, to be able to really go to town which I think we have, I hope we have, and I hope when people watch the movie, they'll see that um, the gloves came off and we didn't stop swinging. And tell me, was it a conscious decision to kind of go in a different direction to the original movies? You know, we changed the setting, but also you're focusing in on a female protagonist, right? Rather than, of course, the original trilogy so much being about our lead hero, the man, Ash, played by Bruce Campbell, you know? Yeah, like, it was definitely conscious to tell a different story. I knew I wanted it to move to the city, and Sam and Rob and Bruce loved that idea, too. I think in the past they might have thought about how would we move it to the city? Um, And, you know, the nature of how movie-making works, they would have spoken to lots of people between Evil Dead 2013 and talking to me, and I think probably there was maybe too many, uh, you know, kind of, like, referential takes and pitches it's like you know what if ash goes to space or what whereas i think with me they saw somebody that was willing to take the risk of taking all of the dna of the movie but putting it in a very very different place but for me it was it was was city and family first and then the characters kind of started to show themselves like i did toy with a different familial structure i toyed with it maybe being a father i toyed with the character of beth maybe being a guy coming back and you just i just like to explore what those kind of vague people could be and the more they form and stick as you kind of put the idea inside the pressure cooker in your head then it kind of shows itself and it it landed itself to this particular familial structure it suited the story um and and i'm really pleased amazing cast and i think you get to know these people up front in the movie which makes a situation that i then let's say gently lead them through <laughs> uh all the more harrowing. Yeah, it's true. And that's something that, you know, there is a there is a connection here between some of the stuff that you did in your previous movie, The Hole in the Ground, which, of course, was set in a domestic space about a mother and child. Yeah. And in both these movies, in Hole in the Ground and this, you've got these brilliant performances from young children in these really dark adult horror movies, right? Tell us a little bit about how you approach that in directing children in movies like this. Yeah, like, it's all it's always challenging. But do you know that if you're prepared right and you cast the right young person, performers and you work with their parents and and you communicate that part's actually kind of really really fun because they bring an energy to set and an excitement to set that when you're having a tough day their attitude can kind of raise you up the challenge for me always actually with a young performer is just how you work your schedule because you can only have them on set for so many times for so many hours and how you use their stand-ins and their doubles and their stunt performers and you know we had two of our five cast where under an age, you know, where we had limited time, especially with young Nell Fisher, who I think I'm always really bad with ages, but I think she was like basically nine when we were shooting. So you've really limited time. Thankfully, these young performers never lost me any time. They were so kind of on the ball. But I do do remember sitting in a locked up managed isolation in New Zealand before I was allowed out to go and make the movie, having traveled from from Europe at the time. And um, I, I, I spat out a report on my final draft screenwriting software just to take a look at the the shape of the script, how much profanity there was, make, hoping there was enough, various different things. Sometimes you want to search words and see you overusing them, but one thing that showed itself was um, 
that young Nell had the second most dialogue in the movie and i remember thinking oh wow so i've got a nine-year-old that's really going to carry a lot of weight in this film um but she did a fantastic job and again i've worked with a lot of young performers um and i tend to find they bring an energy unlike anybody else in a way to the set and um, so even if you're all a little on edge uh, as a crew or or, or feeling the kind of the grind, sometimes their their joy can actually give you the energy to keep on pushing. What was it like having, you know, Sam Raimi, creator of this franchise, you know, as your exec producer, he and Bruce Campbell, right, being present during this process? It was great because those guys came from humble beginnings as filmmakers. They're not trust fund babies, you know. Um, they, they came from a place where a little i suppose like myself they were making movies in their backyard and i even remember someone gave me a gift i think it was for my 18th birthday maybe of the evil dead story um and about how they i was obviously a fan of the movies at the time about like their journey and i remember finding it really inspiring because i love that idea of finding people that you are friends but can also work with and 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 create something so when it came to them passing the you know passing the franchise across to me in terms of what i could do once I'd really explained my story and earned their trust and they understood that I knew what I was doing, they were just supportive. There was I never felt them breathing down by my neck in any way. Again, as filmmakers and their journey, they know what it's like to be dictated to and they know that that doesn't actually lead to a successful vision for a movie if you try and have too many cooks in the kitchen. So they were there to support me when I needed, like any process making a movie, you talk about things, people share notes, some notes are you get excited by or you 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 pivot on or some notes you throw in the bin, you know, and that and that's the process of movie making. But all in all, I found them to be um, you know, a great kind of backstop for one for better description when I needed to lean in and, and, and talk about what I was trying to achieve. Have you always been a big fan of the Evil Dead universe? How far back does your fandom go when it comes to these films? It goes back a long, long way. Longer than I'm willing to admit. <laughs> I grew up in a house where there was like an eight-year age gap to my next sibling. So when I was six, seven, eight, I was exposed to all sorts of horror movies at a very young age because they were all teenagers and heading into their 20s and wanted to watch things. And especially in an era when it was things like Poltergeist, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Shining. So I saw stuff I shouldn't have seen, but my dad was also quite a big horror fan so he showed me um the evil dead and evil dead 2 back to back on two rented vhs's when i was about eight or nine years old we watched them both back to back and i had no idea what the hell i was experiencing i just knew it was like nothing i'd ever seen before um you know time went by and i didn't really understand what they were and it was particularly with evil dead 2 that would pop up on tv from time to time and i'd go there's that thing you know when i was like 10 or 11 or 12 there's that thing what is the what like what you know often when you when you're when you used to watch movies on TV you'd like you'd miss the start you wouldn't even know what you were watching necessarily then as I entered into my kind of early teenage years and wanted to make movies I started to research and understand the importance of these films how they were a cornerstone and not just American but like worldwide horror history and the impact that they had and and the and the consternation that they created and like all of these things and it was the creativity that always drew me back the energy the kind of independent spirit. So those movies, and they're kind of an outlier for me because I quite like psychological horror. I quite like thrillers. I'm not necessarily someone that runs and watches overly gory movies. I will. I love them, but they're not my first port of call except for Evil Dead. Evil Dead is the thing. And in fairness, okay, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, is 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 a world that I love. There are exceptions, but Evil Dead particularly for its kind of body madness was always the thing. Even... even early days of my filmmaking career if I was you know 
having those low points like can I can I do this you know trying to make short films all of that stuff whenever I needed a creative kick Evil Dead 2 would would slide into whatever device I had to be watched um and so yeah it's it's a it's a long and storied history for me with those movies obviously those original movies and Sam Raimi generally has such a distinct style right how much did you want to sort of continue on that Evil Dead style that look and vibe versus you know doing something different and putting your own directorial stamp on it what i wanted to capture was the energy of those movies that was the key the energy and the entertainment but i wanted to do it through my own lens and my and my and my own way and sure there's a couple of occasions where i firmly tipped the cap and i think like even when handling like the the point of view evil force i wanted that to feel kind of quite classical and like how we how we'd seen it before because i love it that way um and but but all in all no it was like it was like building from the ground up with my creative team with my cinematographer Dave Garbutt and my production designer Nick Bassett and, and building this movie on its own terms and um, in its own way but it kind of came from this screenplay which was that I knew it needed to be entertaining and I knew it needed to be energetic and I really got the weave and the fiber of that all in place on the page so when I started to work with my creative team they really understood what this movie needed to be and then it kind of shows itself for all your ambitions and dreams. These things, they start to show themselves through the process of what's achievable, how you do it, the people you're working with. But I always had an awareness of what came before and certainly wanted to, on a couple of occasions, tip the cap directly to the past because I like that interconnectivity. It's just something to me that it's 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 enjoyable to do. So once I had the story right, it was a lot of fun to actually be able to, you know, basically r- rummage through the toolbox of what was in the past and go... I don't want this, I do want this. Hey, I want to stick these two things together and do it my way. That was a lot of fun. And obviously 10 years ago, we had another kind of reboot, remake of this franchise, Fede Alvarez's Evil Dead, right? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that film? And how? And were you sort of consciously thinking about that film and, and how this movie had to be different to that? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I was a big fan of Fede's movie in 2013. I had the joy of bringing my dad and my brother to see it in the cinema like my dad had shown me the movies back in the day and then you know at that point in time he was probably in his like early 70s and we had we had a great time watching that movie um and i remember i actually remember what i said when i left the cinema to my dad and my brother i said i said that's a a, a beautiful brutal cousin of the original movies it's kind of how i felt and look the joy of the evil dead world is that each movie even sam's three movies they all have a tonal difference um, I think Fede's movie is kind of midnight black. You know, it, it it's it's not a movie with with any particular sense of humor, and in a way, rightly so for the tone of what it is. I think there's a little bit more levity in Evil Dead Rise, not to the level of slapstick that you experience um, when you watch something like Evil Dead Two. But I do think there is more levity, and there's there's a kind of an over the top madness to the horror and gore that raises laughter. So when when we when we the world premiere of the movie a couple of weeks ago. Um, at the Paramount Theatre at South by Southwest, it was a real joy for me to hear laughter in the room because that was always an intent. I didn't want people to just cower in the corner. I want to make you cower in the corner and then I want you to guffaw. I want you to sit forward. I want you to laugh. I want you to hide. I want you to experience a range of emotions. And I think that's possibly what differentiates Evil Dead Rise from some of the other movies is I think it plays all the hits. I hope it plays all the hits. It certainly does. Now tell me, how much fun was it in coming up with ways to kill people in the most gory, visceral ways imaginable in keeping with this franchise, right? It's quite different, obviously, to what you did in The Hole in the Ground. Yeah, it was it was incredible fun. Like from, from the get-go of writing, there was parts of it that I wrote and I thought, this will really work. I had great confidence in some of those moments. Um, and then the creation of them is 
it's like it's time and energy and working with with amazing people I wanted to make this movie in as practical a fashion as I possibly could. Again, I felt that that was a pillar of what made Evil Dead something so special, something that has lasted the test of time. And so from that point of view, it was a real journey to find ways of bringing to life some of the kind of insane kills and moments and purges and leaking of fluids in a variety of different ways. And what I learned very quickly, um, because it's also a film that has like a lot of visual energy, it doesn't really rest a whole lot. So the camera's ever moving or I'm ever cutting to another angle on something or a different perspective on something. And what I learned very quickly was being practical with that visual style means there's no one fix to any one particular thing. So if you take any of the given set pieces or particularly kind of gnarly moments in the film, we might need five rigs to actually shoot all the angles that I needed. There was never a single fix to one thing and that was a really not energy sapping but you realize how much effort you needed to put in to truly find a way so if you want to stab someone it's like cool you can stab them but now if you want to go over here well now we need to stab them in a different way or use a different rig or find a different way of getting the blood to spray um and and it's something because i don't really want to spoil necessarily but i guess people have seen the trailer and they'll get a sense that there is an elevator with some blood you don't just build an elevator set and put blood in it. You have like a Lego set. You have to build multiple versions of that thing, multiple ways of shooting it, multiple ways of putting blood inside it and getting blood out of it. Um, but all of that stuff is, for me, it's it's stressful because you're on set and you're making a movie. But when you actually see the vision of it come to life, it's it's really enjoyable. And more than that, when you see an audience, which is the most important thing to me of all, like that's what I'm driven by is trying to entertain a big group of people in a dark room when you see an audience move to those moments that's worth the stress it's worth the pain it's worth the multiple angles and the many many builds and the you know the hair pulling totally and how much were you intentionally trying to make audiences wince in those moments because i think what what evil dead does so cleverly including your movie is you've got those extreme moments of rivers of blood coming out of elevators but then you know i'm thinking of for example in evil dead the original the moment i hate the most is the pencil in the ankle right these kind of much more almost relatable moments of body horror um that you also include in your movie right yeah like they they were very very important said not saying it's easy to have a river of blood or to to do a, a massive event like that but you know it's 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 quite challenging when you and 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 takes a lot of um refinement to actually get those smaller moments just right like there's things people are completely unaware of in the movie right now like there's a little piece relating to an earring which is tiny but also like hurts like hell um and it was really important to have those like standout moments and also by having it in that domestic context like leaning into things that are familiar you know like like using a bathtub, using a cheese grater, using using wine glasses, things that hopefully people go home after the movie and they sit down and they look at their own collection of crystalware and think, oh my God, I'd hate if my child decided to eat that. <laughs> um, but yeah, to, to me, all, all those little kind of, like for want of a better description, like breaking your arm is sore, but you know, the right kind of paper cut, I can really hurt too. Yeah, It was important to have those type of moments in play. Really important. Totally. And uh, and what about ex- what's the secret to executing a truly great scare, do you think, in your opinion, as a director as well? Is it timing? Is it space? Is it the geography? You know, like executing a well-earned jump scare or something that really makes the audience react? It's always such a tricky question to answer because for whatever reason, luckily, my instinct helps me through these moments and sometimes it's hard to explain instinct. But what I can say is it's definitely a combination of things. It starts with the idea it requires the right performer that can actually 
sell tension or sell a reaction to a moment that's so so important and then it is about that visual delivery and then it's about the context that you place it in it's like if you just keep hitting people over the head with jump scare after jump scare they will start to lose their effectiveness um but if you build tension in the right way um and drop a jump scare at the right time it's about the context it's about the space left and right of that moment so to me it's it's especially i think movie making overall is like what i'm about to say but when you can really filter this thought down to to creating scares and creating those things it's like you kind of go shopping and you've got an idea of the cake that you want to bake and you get all the ingredients and some things you don't have enough money for all of them and some things aren't necessarily in stock and you get what you can and you come home and you figure out the blend so for me the creation of scares really happens in the edit suite like that's really where it works and you know on set that you've got the good stuff like you know you're confident but it's really shaving frames adding music you know using clever cuts all of that stuff and then placing it in the context of that bigger picture of the story you're telling that's the way and as i said at the beginning of this quite long-winded answer to a simple question it's then instinct as well it's filmmaker's instinct it's storyteller's instinct of course uh, so finally then uh, i'm sure it's probably too early to say but is this the beginning of a new series of evil dead potentially you know do you have more stories up your sleeve in this world would you like to continue making evil dead movies after this of course i feel a certain sense of authority and ownership over like cracking the universe open in a new way and kind of breathing life into it in a different way and i do have story ideas i've left a number of doors open and um, i think the smart thing always with that I've, a few people i've worked with in recent times have 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 shared this kind of thought with me and I, I i kind of agree with it it's like you've got to see how it goes right you've really got to see how it goes you don't want to preempt too hard what's next and in a way for a movie like this let the audience decide the appetite for more but i i, I would be really hopeful that um that i will remain a creative voice somewhere in the mixture whether it's as a writer or director or you know in, in some capacity because i think with this movie i have i've definitely woken up the beast and and brought it back roaring onto the screen you absolutely have lee cronin thank you so much for your time my absolute pleasure great to talk to you again man Alyssa, Lily, first of all, just congratulations. Thoroughly, thoroughly creeped out by the film. And I'm quite a difficult person to scare or to creep out. So absolutely loved your work in Evil Dead Rise. And I wanted to start by asking you both, are you horror fans yourselves? Yes, I am. I grew up like always whatever horror was in the cinema my mom was a total addict for it since she was young like i'm pretty sure she went and saw texas chainsaw massacre back in the day in london by herself like no one would go with her um so yeah for me i'm like a total adrenaline junkie the more gore the better the more like paralyzed i feel after a film is it's what i want it's what i want yeah i'm not historically i'm bit i'm a really easy scare and i have an overactive imagination and i can't sleep um if i've watched a horror film before bed so i've i've shied away from them um but then when i read for ellie and then found out that lee wanted to have a chat i was like i guess i'm gonna have to watch some horror films and i'm gonna have to watch evil dead um, and I have to say, like, having gone to South by Southwest and 
having the experience that we had at South by Southwest. I get it now. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been missing. You go and you watch it in a cinema, in a crowded cinema, and you all go through it together. Um, And it's this incredible communal experience. And I've been trying to chase the high ever since South by Southwest and going. Tell me about that experience, that premiere of seeing, you know, was it the first time that you saw the film? Was it the first time you saw it with a crowd? Like, what was that like? It was the first time I'd seen it with a crowd. Yeah, I think for Lily as well. Um, It was... It's hard to describe. It was wild. I like this huge, beautiful, old theater. And it's packed. Like they turned people away, packed with horror fans that know all of the Easter eggs and are hooting and hollering and yelling and it's like, oh my God. I I loved every second of it. It was incredible. Yeah. For me, I'd only seen it in Dublin with Lee, like in this tiny like cinema um, in this random suburb at 8 a.m. in the morning. We still got like Coca-Colas <laughs> and popcorn and we sat there together just like, here we go. And he's like, mm. don't freak out. It's overwhelming, which it was. But then like to see it at South by Southwest, audiences are so engaging and like I found myself like cheering at points because it's also like this beautiful symphony and like orchestra of like the reflection of the film. Like you're hearing also the audience. So it was like, it was double bubble for me and so exciting I was white knuckled and so much Alyssa and I shot separately so there was so many gems I think we got to experience seeing it on screen because of COVID and yada 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 but um but yeah so it was pretty extraordinary so tell me a little bit about that so you shot it separately and correct me if I'm wrong but I read that you also shot it in chronological order yeah, no, which was which was amazing. It's like the the set became like a stage, and we just slowly, you know, exhausted it, and it deteriorated, and the carnage and mess was just there. We'd like close off rooms and be like, "All right, this is done." Under the hallway, um, but yeah, and then we had like a nine week lockdown with eight days left of shooting, which is like the most climactic point of the film. So we just sitting there twiddling mm-hmm. our thumbs for like nine weeks with the anticipation um, for that last sequence of the film, which wow. is next level but amazing and you know New Zealand's amazing um and it was an experiment the film was an experiment like experience wise and then a nine-week lockdown and then going straight at it was an experience and um Alyssa I wanted to ask you because your character Ellie obviously becomes possessed very early on in the film and how did you approach playing someone who's not quite human anymore (laughs) um yeah, I I took inspiration from a bunch of different places. Um, it wasn't really sort of any one thing, um, but I I did a lot of work on the Deadite movement and had a playlist mm-hmm. I listened to at nighttime. Um, I watched a lot of reference films, mostly because I didn't want to have somebody else's performance, like sort of subconsciously in my brain and repeat anything. I, I sort mm-hmm. of wanted to look at what was already out there in like those iconic villains and monsters that had come before and make sure that I was trying to bring something new. Um, and like, honestly, that's sort of in the writing of Ellie. Um, I I don't think that there's been a female monster written like Ellie and credit to Lee for doing that. Like the one-liners that I had were gold, like so mm-hmm. 
so much fun as an actor. Um, yeah. I just relished all of it, honestly, and in, and enjoyed the shit out of it. <laughs> you did. Can confirm. Can confirm. Tell me a little bit about this playlist. Like, what do you, can you share any of the tracks that were on your uh, Let's Get Ready to Play a Dead Eye playlist? Yeah, there was the Massive Attack on there. What's that? What's their album? It's like one good song out of one good song. Uh, Mezzanine, I think. Yes. Yeah. Love that album. Yeah, there were a few songs from Mezzanine on that playlist. And there was another one um, that I used. Uh, a little bit of a spoiler, but there's, I guess, there's a sequence, Mummies with the Maggots now. And there was a song that I kind of used um, when I was rehearsing, like, how that was going to go. And it's by a band called Pusifar, and it's a weird version of a song it, i think it's called rev 2220 but it's not it's not the version that you would find on spotify it's like a different version it's a, it's a harder one to find but it's got like an extra kind of bass and angstiness to it um yeah and lily i was wondering because you know you're while uh Alyssa's character is trying to get into the the flat um you're you know working mostly with the kids you know with the with the children did you ever grow protective of them working so closely together with them especially kind of considering the the gore and the amount of blood and uh, uh stuff that happens as the film progresses totally i mean especially for nell um and i who plays cassie mm. being a nine-year-old and you rock a nine-year-old's nervous system very easily and also i think there was only so long at the beginning that we could entertain trying to play the given circumstances as though they're real in like the actor's head so pretty early on which is really a beautiful like discovery that I found especially working in horror was mm. finding the dance and the breath work and letting out before takes like a primal scream with little Nell we'd just be like covered in blood little like wide eyes popping out and we'd be like you ready and I'd like so fun um but yeah with all of us being locked in that in the apartment at that sequence sort of um at the beginning of the film it was it was a magical time it was so fun we all just kind of yeah, it was a playground and, and collaborated beautifully. They're all such wonderful, wonderful actors and, and and wonderful humans. So it was great. And I wanted to ask you both about kind of the all the physical stuff of the film. Because definitely watching it as a viewer, one of my favorite things was actually the production design, the the design of the Book of the Dead, the way that it feels so tactile and like genuinely, I, it sounds weird, but I could almost smell it through the screen. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about like, how does it help you when you're, you know, actually working with objects and with real kind of props that come from this wild horror imagination. I mean, I think for me, it was so incredible in a way of, I think with the horror genre, the artistry of like collaboration and every department needs to be so, so strong to pull it off. The gags and also just to set the scene and make people want to really, I think, marinate in the world while it's being absolutely chaotically torn apart. Um, but we were so lucky, like that set had gems everywhere about your character, the children's bedrooms, like drawers were filled. There were lists, like shopping lists, the fridge had things that, like it was, it, yeah, the level of detail was exceptional, which you can really, I think, feel in the, in the film. And it had this like retro, like energy to it and it feels mm -hmm. lived in. 
Um, and considering, you know, it was the one the one stage and the one set, yeah, the level of detail was was exquisite. Yeah. Ellie's like little tattoo yeah. nook that she had. When I first saw that, I was like, wait, what? This is crazy. The like her desk looked like a real desk of someone and it was like scattered but sort of organized. I was like, that's an incredible thing to pull up. I don't know how you you managed to make it look like that. It was very lived in and and realistic. Yeah. Yeah. All the objects. I mean, getting like different weapons each day. I felt like I was in like a video game. I'm like, Lee, where are we going now? Like it was it was such a yeah, like I said before, a playground. Yeah. What was the what was the thing that you were most excited about filming? Like from Lee's script? You were like, yes, I want to get to that part. The hallway sequence for many. When I first saw that, because our um our stunt coordinator, Stuart Thorpe, was he I mean, he's really talented, but he also really likes to record everything. So he'd recorded a rehearsal with his stunt team of the hallway sequence to show me mm-hmm. when I first got to New Zealand. Um, and the minute I saw the whole sequence that he had put together, I was like, I can't wait to do this. This is so <laughs> easy. This is so incredible. Um, yeah, I was looking forward to that the most. I remember being like, today's the big day. Like every actor involved was just like, yep, holy sequence, let's go. So yeah. fun. Was that the same uh, one for you, Lily? No, I mean, I loved watching. I loved, which we would always do on set. It was like when you, you know, mm-hmm. you were on, you were just like stuck behind the monitor to just see the magic of, you know, the suspense and the horror and the gore and everyone pulling off the gags and everyone would be like cheering once it would work or, you know, there was a lot of like failed moments where you're like, yep, not usable. No matter how good the acting is, that's mm-hmm. the beauty of it. It's like such a collaboration. But for me, I think uh, I, the the whole car park sequence, once it just gets yes. on its head, I feel like, you know, for Beth as well, she's so scrappy at the beginning. She's kind mm-hmm. of like resistant to the situation to a degree. And then it was the moment that like, you know, even though she doesn't get possessed, it's like the reflection of, of her sister being taken. It's like you get full primal, full animal. And I just think I love, I loved, um, yeah, that gear shift and being in an elevator filled with blood mm. and, dip- and like everything's practical. So you get to set and you're like, harnessed up, 30 kilos strapped to you because you float in the blood. In case anyone didn't know. Do you? I mean, well, I have, I've i never been put in an elevator filling up with blood. So wouldn't know. Yeah. Your feet literally, I would just be like, oh my God. And like, they'd be floating up in the air. I'd be like holding onto like little Nell and we'd be in mm. there for like, five hours and just like in wetsuits but like yeah strapped strapped down and actually dipped in and you know the slippery slide of blood and give me that goddamn chainsaw (laughs) and lily was there any part of you please be honest that kind of missed out on being a deadite oh my god for sure (laughs) (laughs) it was amazing to act opposite um Alyssa while she was exploring that and just like it was such a safe space of exploration which is the beauty of horror for me from an acting point of view it's Mm -hmm. an invigorating challenge you push your boundaries you embarrass the hell out of yourself and then you find freedom after that so i mean at the end of the day lee wrote a really dense fab script that made everyone i feel like have rock rock style moments so yeah but i mean did i come on (laughs) yeah and you get to do it because like in real life like you know, so few of us are actually sadistic like that, um, that you get to 
really explore just another way of being and jump into a, like a completely different world. I may present as an adult, but I'm a child for a living. I make believe, you know, as the best job in the world. <laughs> and Alyssa, and I, I'm going to say this with the utmost respect, uh, you look real creepy in the film. So <laughs> what I wanted to ask you is how did you know when you had found the right level in the movement and the performance, when you were like, oh yeah, this is the point where people are going to get legitimately peeved out. I don't know. It's something in your gut. And, and Lee and I were really aligned as well. That's what I also enjoyed about working with him is that we agreed on every take of like especially of like the lines mummies with the maggots now and there's there's another line that i really don't want to spoil for people um and our exec producer rommel uh he also similarly had like a similar taste as well and and was sort of weighing in and before i let you guys go uh i mean i know i love the horror community i'm a horror fan myself and you know it's one of the best audiences like you've been saying to watch films with because uh, mm. we can get rowdy and just really expressive what have been some of the reactions to the film from people as they've seen in kind of at South by Southwest and perhaps at other festivals and such that have like surprised you the most? I think I've just been surprised by the fandom in general. I knew it existed, um, but being on this side of it now, it's like you really feel people kind of coming in and embracing you. Um, and that started for me with the release of the trailer. All of a sudden they were like, trailer reaction videos on YouTube and they just kept coming. That surprised me just because I was like, oh my gosh, this is actually like, I know it has a fandom, but you guys are like active and engaging in a way that I feel like maybe fans of other franchises aren't. And that's so exciting as an actor because it's like, it's almost like the feeling you would get from doing theater where you have a reaction from the audience. It's like, because normally with film and TV, you don't get that so much. So um, that's that's really cool. And like when you're an entertainer and your purpose is to entertain and, and tell stories and bring that to people um, and you're actually getting feedback that it's working is incredible. I think for me, what I've loved is people who are terrified to go see a horror or to like yeah experience that and don't want it i'm like i love when someone like people we've just did a bunch of interviews yesterday and you know there are journalists who are like i have to go see this movie did i want to not really but then came out and really fell in love with the the comedy aspect of it the laugh out loud instead of just like the creepy man outside your door like that we all have a paranoid dream about mm -hmm. this is a mummy killing children but saying titty sucking parasites and just like where you're scared but you're laughing so it was really nice to have i think like people who yet yeah, don't do horror to be like actually that was that was fun so that's really nice for people because i think the trailer really does make it seem it's terrifying and nail-biting but there's it's laced with comedy and it's laced with banging one that gives that kind of like action film-esque energy to it that kind of stops you being like i'm gonna go home and dream about ellie it's like you know like a mama like killing children it's like i don't know it's 
the comedy aspect, I'm really happy when someone responds yeah. to. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And there is, I think it also taps into something really primal of, you know, you're not used to seeing a mother trying to kill, kill her children. Get her off uh, that pedestal. Get her off that pedestal. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. Like, I mean... We, we had The Shining back in, what, the 70s? Mm -hmm. Dad can turn on his family. Um, yeah. You know, it's taken quite a while for us to get to this point. Um, yeah. I love seeing flawed women on screen, and I think this is probably about as flawed as you get. Um, I know, we got double bubble, two, two ladies. Yeah. yeah. But I also, I also love making the joke that this film, like, explores cutting out toxic relationships and to let family go when you have to <laughs> thank you both so much it's been such a pleasure to chat to you congratulations again on the film and hopefully i'll see you in many more horror films to come yes Oh, there you go. What a lovely bunch of people. So that was writer-director of Evil Dead Rise, Lee Cronin, there followed by Anna's conversation with cast members and stars of Evil Dead Rise, Alyssa Sutherland and Lily Sullivan. So, guys, Chris, Anna, let's get into it. From this point onwards, we'll say spoiler alert, we are going to talk about Evil Dead Rise in depth. So if you don't want to be spoiled, go and check out the film before you listen to our discussion. Uh, so, Chris, we've talked a little bit about our history with this franchise up until this point. What were your expectations when you took your seat to watch Evil Dead Rise? I was quietly optimistic about this because I really enjoyed Lee Cronin's The Hole in the Ground when it came out in 2019. But I'm always wary. I'm wary of any Evil Dead that doesn't have Sam Raimi behind the camera. But it seemed to me to be doing enough new things, new twists on the formula. So it largely takes place in a high-rise building. It has, for the first time, it really introduces uh, a new series of protagonists. It goes, uh, you know, it brings children into Jeopardy, which is always an interesting thing to do in, in horror. Uh, and so I was quietly optimistic about it. And it's, I think it's very interesting. I don't know what you guys think about this. But the fact is that we are now four decades into this franchise and this is just the fifth movie in that franchise that's really unusual you know we know how many friday the 13th have been we know how many nightmare on elm streets there have been in in that time uh i just blinked and they made another halloween <laughs> so this is really unusual that's how, that's that kind of i don't restraint that's been in play here what did you guys think about that? Well, what do you guys think about that? If, you know, the the fact that there have been so few Evil Dead movies, and what mm. were your expectations for Evil Dead Rise? There's there's two things that are at play. So on the one hand, the lack of exploitation of the IP, basically, because there hasn't been pre-makes, requels, remakes outside of Evil All Dead Awful 2013. words, by the exactly. way. <laughs> there hasn't been a limited series take on Evil Dead. There hasn't been a, you know, who wrote the the Necronomicon type of approach outside of Ash versus Evil Dead, mm -hmm. which is mostly a Bruce Campbell vehicle. There isn't anything that's kind of ripping apart and delving deeper into the franchise or the mythos that it, that, you know, it hints at. So, I think that's a double-edged sword because then the expectation becomes larger because like, well, if we're going back to the Evil Dead well, it must be good. It must be worth the wait. It must set up a new franchise in the way that Evil Dead 2013 didn't really set it up. So 
it was really high and also my trepidation was extremely high because I'm like how what are you gonna do what are you gonna do that's gonna be make it new make it 2013 and at the same time satisfy the evil dead fans I agree I agree yeah I think it's because we have so few evil dead movies each one is it, it does feel like more of an event in a way um and i was very excited for for a new evil dead movie and i think you're right horror has changed even the kind of remakes and reboots that we get now have changed you know in an era of the blumhouse halloween movies or you know everything else we've been getting over the last couple of years I, you know i think it's we've, we're seeing more interesting new spins on franchises as opposed to just straight up remakes so i was really excited and i really loved lee cronin's the hole in the ground as well and again very much kind of within that sphere of we hate to say it that kind of quote-unquote elevated horror sphere right and so yeah i was i was like you guys said quietly optimistic about it and and excited to see what i was going to experience and I was so pleased that I did actually have such a brilliantly fun, visceral experience watching this, particularly with an audience on the big screen. I feel like that is what the Evil Dead movies should be, a very, very fun and frightening roller coaster ride experience. And even though we have changed directors, we've changed the setting, we're in a, 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 an apartment, we have more character depth going on in this, we have more subtext going on in this, like the 2013 version, but I think there is more fun in this version than the 2013 version. I think yeah. I think Evil Dead Rise strikes a very good middle ground between the craziness of Sam Raimi's movies and the deadly, serious, kind of gross, uh, kind of horror of Fede Alvarez's version for me. What about you guys? What did you think? I think one of the ways that it brings back one of the key elements that I think you pointed out, Chris, it's the the talkative and mocking nature of the Deadites. So once they are possessed, once characters are possessed, and it's primarily Alyssa Sutherland's character, kind of the, the matriarch, the mother of all the kids, once she is possessed and becomes kind of the the core mummy Deadite, she does not stop talking. <laughs> and it's the taunting, it's the mocking, it's the trying to lure the kids to her to grab them. It never stops. And that is one of the biggest kind of connective tissues for me for the original Evil Dead trilogy. And it works mm. because you are sort of, you know, not seduced by it, but definitely kind of think, oh, is there a little bit of humanity there left? While she's kind of toying with the kids. And then obviously there's not. Ultimately, she's always deceiving them, always tricking them. But she's so good at it that for a little bit, for a second, she you might believe that the humanity is still there. And then very quickly it isn't. It's just it something really horrible to a, cat, to a child. Open up now. You don't look so good, Bob. Nothing a big old kiss from you won't fix. I think this film plays in a really interesting way with something we really haven't talked about uh, with uh, regard to the other four movies, which is the idea that characters can be possessed and then unpossessed. They can come back to themselves. And I'm not going to say whether whether or not this movie does that, but the very fact that it, it's, it's aware of it and it plays with that again and again and again it plays with that I think it's really really interesting obviously Evil Dead 2013 does that Evil Dead 2 does that a number of times with, with Bruce Campbell himself and, and there are elements of that also in Army of Darkness I think that's really interesting again something that sets it apart the fact that you can save these souls mm-hmm. yeah and it, le- it adds an extra 
real personal touch to this particular movie. I mean, again, we have toyed with that throughout all of these movies and we've had family members be possessed. We've had brother-sister pairings. But there's something about a mother, a matriarch, and her children. And these are real... One of them, a very, very young child, right, in serious mortal danger from their own mother possessed, which is a particularly disturbing idea. It's a really primal thing, isn't it? It's going back to basics in a really elegant way, I think, you know. Mm -hmm. It's, I think it's really distilled the ideas of the original Evil Dead trilogy and then put them into like a horror blender that's ready for 2023. So it's a single location. It doesn't have to be a cabin in the woods doesn't matter let's do another creepy location a derelict kind of high rise and the primal element as well of making it um this family kind of this single parent family is that it's just her as their core parent their core you know care provider and if she's gone you're reacting to it on two levels a it's really scary really scared to see your mom or your parent kind of be ill in some way because they're supposed to be the ones who are protecting you mm-hmm. and on the other hand it's like you want her to be unpossessed and survive because you want you don't want these kids to be alone and we don't even need that much character development at all because once you tap into that that's it you're done you're golden you will automatically react to it as you're watching the film you don't really need to know a backstory you don't really need to dive that much into the sibling relationship between ellie and beth you just know it's a whole bunch of kids that are about to possibly lose their their parent that's enough and that sense of betrayal as well that the uh, the kids have when they see their mother turning against them as well is really really rich dramatic ground also it's a remarkably unsentimental film (laughs) as well yes yeah mean-spirited but in a great way and and i think you know the (laughs) evil dead movies have to have to be a bit mean-spirited we talked about even in the original trilogy those the the films are mean to Ash, right? That's the fun yeah. of them, in a way. The endings are mean. The films are mean. F- Fede Alvarez is particularly mean, I oh, think. That's nasty. It's nasty. a whole other step above a mean. Exactly, exactly. But I think this movie is just mean enough that the Evil Dead movies have to be, whilst also having quite a lot of heart in them as well, right? This movie has a lot of heart in it as well, which is nice, and, and catharsis and laughs as well. And also, I love its little homages to the original. You know, we do have, even though we're in a high-rise apartment, we do begin in a cabin in the woods right yes, um, and that great little I really loved I appreciate those little nods towards the originals like the kind of swooping camera shot during the opening credits which then turns out to be a drone right um, and those little moments that kind of nod towards the original but also say we're doing our own thing with this movie you know yeah I think Lee Cronin is <laughs> we've only had two directors who aren't Sam Raimi make an Evil Dead movie but he's the first who you can actually see oh Sam Raimi absolutely shaped who you are as a director. You can see that. And you're not just doing that thing where you're throwing in a few Sam Raimi moves every now and again to please the fans. There's, this is something that's in your, your directorial DNA. I don't think we've really talked enough about how influential Raimi is as a director mm-hmm. and how influential the Evil Dead movies, in particular, I think the first two, are on a generation of horror directors. You know, I don't think that, even though bad taste was kind of made in and around the same time as Evil Dead 2. I don't think Peter Jackson is the director he is without Sam Raimi getting there first. I don't think Edgar Wright is the director he is without Sam Raimi. Uh, You could throw out a dozen names that have Sam Raimi's. Where do you see Raimi's influence the most on on this new generation of horror filmmakers? In terms of the use of the camera, I mean, Lee Cronin is, there, there are moments in this where the camera is 
driving the story and driving the way the characters react. Uh, it's not just there as a passive tool, which I think Fede Alvarez did a little bit. He uh, Maybe he was a bit too afraid of the Raimi comparisons in the first Evil Dead remake <laughs> slash requel. <laughs> Whereas Lee Cronin here is absolutely leaning into that. I'm thinking about scenes like, for example, when uh, Ellie first gets, first gets possessed in the, in the elevator. And yeah. you have this great big swooping, you know, crane shot that pushes in all the way to her. Uh, you know, those are moments I think that are, are absolutely, those are Raimi writ large for me, those moments. It's like a violent physical camera almost. Yeah. That scene in particular, you feel yourself kind of swooping into that elevator and attacking her in a way because yeah. her entire body is then lifted up. Mm. And there's a few moments like that in in the movie. Even in, like I'm thinking of one where she's pos- possessed Ellie, is trying to get in through the door and is bashing her head yeah. against it. Yeah, It feels like the entire um, screen is bashing itself against you as you watch it. And Raimi is one of the directors that manages to make you feel that way. And he's applied that to both his horror and non-horror projects because, you know, we don't need to go um, into deep cuts. Even his approach visually to Spider-Man was the thing that kind of initiated the glut of superhero movies that we're living in right now because visually it made you feel what it was like to be yeah. a superhero flying around New York City. There's a real kineticism, I think, to to Raimi's camera work at his, at his best. Again, no matter which DP he works with. Mm. Uh, and I think that, that is something that is very, very much on display here. Yeah, this feeling that... The, the whole film is kind of going full hog from beginning to end. It feels like, for, you know, Lee Cronin does that really well. And this also still, feel, it has Sam Raimi DNA, but it also does feel like a Lee Cronin movie. You know, even having just seen one previous film that he's made, Hole in the Ground, you know, he did not shy away from putting little children in really horrific situations about mother, you know, a film about motherhood, about the relationship between a mother and a child in a single location, in a domestic space, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, this is also a Lee Cronin movie as much as it is a Sam Raimi movie. And I think he did a really interesting job of kind of bringing that mad, deranged Sam Raimi kineticism and, and energy to this kind of what we now are sort of starting to realize is this very kind of Lee Cronin world, which is a domestic space cut off from everyone else about a mother and a child and something evil, you know, infiltrating this family, I suppose. And also, interestingly, in in Evil Dead Rise, it's more about the relationship with the kids with their mother as opposed to the mother with the kids, if that makes sense, because she is possessed most of the movie. We see a lot of them pining for her or thinking about her trying to get her back from their perspective as opposed to from hers and I found that to be kind of a uh, a fresh take on the idea of motherhood and horror because she's taken away pretty early mm. by you know possessed by the evil uh, and, and become undead so we're actually just talking about her and seeing her through their perspective for the majority of the film. What do we think of the gore in this movie as well? Because I think another thing that we talked about this a lot with the original movie, The Evil Dead from 1981, is that there was this mix of buckets and buckets of operatic blood and over-the-top gore with those tiny wince-inducing moments that make you want to cover your eyes and, and cringe yourself inside out like a pencil in the ankle. And I feel like, again, there are some great uses of kitchen utensils, for example, in this movie that give you all of that over-the-top gore but also give you moments that go 
oh my god, I can barely look and comprehend what I'm seeing here, you know, which I really appreciated. I'm never looking at a grater in the same way again. Oh, the cheese grater. Blessed are the cheese graters. <laughs> I don't know. You've always thought about, if you've, you've, you've ever been grating something in the kitchen, you want to be careful with your hands if they get too close, because mm-hmm. you, you just know that's going to shade the skin off your fingers. So to actually see it used in that way and the glass. The, gl- the, the wine throat. glass. Oh. Oh. There's something about watching people, you know, glass in mouths, right? Mm-hmm. Chewing on glass is so horrible. And I think, yeah, that Lee Cronin did an amazing job in this movie of giving us those moments of extreme gore, but ones that you could sort of relate to. You sort of know what that would feel like, you I think. Can, mm. You can feel it yeah. in your own flesh because yeah. it's not something, you know, it's supernaturally induced, but it's not something that's outside of the realm of possibilities. Mm. So you can instantly think when you see um, Beth's, leg being grated you remember every single time you've yes. grated the ginger a bit too close oh yeah to the exactly blades. that yeah. there's the other thing that I really loved about the oh, it's just a weird sentence I really loved about the violence in this film is like the way they're all mangled up by the end it doesn't have that thing where they get hurt and then magically oh it's fine mm. it doesn't look that bad they're not limping around they're not struggling they are battered and bruised and limping by the end end of the film they're they're covered in every single cut that they sustain or a way that they hurt themselves as the film and that just I think makes it so much more unbearable by the end of it you're like oh my god can they take any more (laughs) can their bodies take any more Jesus are they like are they stitched together by the end of this yeah Yeah. I think that's the the highest body count of any Evil Dead movie if we discount Army of Darkness, which obviously has a whole bunch of disposable extras, skeleton extras and King Arthur's army. Uh, This has a a whole group of people die in the corridor. There's a couple of people, I won't say who, in in the family who who die as well. Uh, Yeah, that's that's it's really gnarly in that way. Uh, and it also does that thing that it, you know you say one of the unifiers one of the constants that runs through all the movies uh, is the Necronomicon slash Natura de Montum slash whatever you want to call it today uh, but the other one is rapidly now becoming chainsaws yeah and yeah. the chainsaw here what did you guys make of the way that the chainsaw is is weaved or woven into the action uh, did you think it was organic or did you think it was like well, well it's a chainsaw we need a chainsaw it's an Evil Dead movie so we gotta have a chainsaw I, th- I think it's more the latter right because <laughs> uh, because I think the, the movie does such a great job as we've discussed already in utilising everyday household objects you know this is not a Cabin in the Woods movie this is an apartment block horror movie and we've seen a great tradition of apartment block mm-hmm. horror movies you know over the last however many decades you know everything from Rosemary's Baby to whatever else and I think there's an everydayness to this movie that I love however I'm never going to complain about an introduction of a chainsaw, especially in an Evil Dead movie, right? I understand what you're talking about. I keep a chainsaw under my sink. So it's <laughs> there you go. You. Could there you, you go. if your life depended on it, if a deadite was coming at you, could you wield the chainsaw? Because I'm not sure I could. Yeah, I could. Mm. You could? Yeah. You speak less of this if you've done this already. <laughs> she sounded very confident. Speak very practiced. Yeah. Got a very strong core. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I just couldn't. I'd be like, I'd be ripped apart while just trying to pull the chain. I'd be going, what? And then I'd slice my leg off. I would definitely accidentally slice a digit off for sure, oh, trying geez. to operate it. But I could wield it. 
You could wield it. Yeah. Okay, Mike. If someone turns it on for me and then passes it to me, well, so you want to hand it to the dead eyed. So would you mind? <laughs> yeah, just turn just, it on for just me for a second. Yeah. Do this thing. Like I don't want to ruin my nails. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd be hopeless. I'd be like that moment in the original Texas Chainsaw when Leatherface kind of falls over himself and then cuts his own leg with his chainsaw. That would Bless be it. me. <laughs> I know. Yeah, He's it's very unwieldy. Very unwieldy thing, isn't it? Really. But also, this movie does this thing, which I think is like very trendy right now which is we hear all the bones crack Ooh, yeah. all the time a lot and of I, bone horror yeah. yes and I love this addition to the soundscape that we talked about quite a bit in the previous episode here we're hearing Ellie's movements constantly mm. we hear her bones crack we hear her kind of unnatural way that she bends her limbs and I know it might be a little bit basic but that always works for me because once your knees and your joints start cracking it always constantly makes me think of horror films I am so relieved to know I'm not just getting old I'm being possessed by uh, <laughs> by an evil force I'd rather that slowly but surely yeah because if I, honestly if I stood up right now you would hear cracking <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that there is an, a real an element of true traditional body horror in this, you know, mm-hmm. as in like the sort of David Cronenberg body horror. I think these movies have all kind of teased that, but this movie particularly does because also there is a it's not just about this mother Ellie, but it's also about her sister who met like there is a motherhood and maybe pregnancy kind of subtext mm-hmm. running through this as well, there, right? There is a confirmed pregnancy. Right, exactly. So I think, you know, and there's a lot of horror movies that deal with overtly with pregnancy and and you know the body horror that that you can connect to that and i think this movie kind of teases that as well doesn't it along the way you know like genuine body horror mixed in with all of that crazy gore as well and also are we allowed to talk about the creature at the end yeah. of the film because i loved him <laughs> i want to take him home <laughs> i want to a toy made out of that thing. Yeah. Uh, that is a level of Brian Usner-esque creature mm, yes. that I absolutely love and I have not seen much of in films since Usner. Mm-hmm. It really reminded me of this kind of society um, type of body horror where it looks like nothing that exists. Mm-hmm. It's mishmashy. It is grotesque. And it's not comical at all. Like, even if you look at it, it's like a leg randomly flailing somewhere around. But the creation, the design of that is, like, it will be haunting my nightmares just because I do not wish it to exist anywhere in the real in the real world but i'm so glad to see it on the screen when it appears yeah that is now you asked me before chris what i imagine the the evil in the woods to look like when the camera is roaming around that is now what i think i'm going to picture this like mass of deadites merged together with yeah. limbs coming out of it every which way you know yeah i don't know mike i think i could outrun that fairly easily <laughs> if i was in a forest and i looked up and i saw this multi-headed multi-limbed <laughs> creature shuffling towards me demanding my flesh I'd I'd walk in the opposite direction (laughs) and outpace it I reckon it's deceptively fast like a spider or a daddy long legs that's what I think it would it would move (laughs) like like walking and talking dead-eyed meatball (laughs) oh dead-eyed hungry now (laughs) 
We're talking of cheese is... graters, ginger. Yeah. Get yourself an Evil Dead meatball. Oh my god, we've got our pop-up restaurant ready to go, I think. Evil Dead Egg Meatball? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you got yourself a stew going. Yeah, I, I don't know. That that creature at the end I thought was terrific. There's there's elements for me as well of obviously the uh, the end of the thing. There's a very much a uh, there's a strong you've got to be fucking kidding me energy about about that creature <laughs> yes. towards the end. Uh, this is this analogy has just popped into my head and this is perhaps utterly demented uh, but let's just go with it shall we uh, it reminded me a little bit of one of Sid's creations from Toy Story I don't know <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. that is exactly what it is it feels Absolutely. like it's something that that kid that weird little effed up kid would have put together in his room and isn't that just a beautiful metaphor and image for a horror <laughs> film director right a demented kid that grows up to create these otherworldly creatures for other people to enjoy. Yeah, yeah. B- based on parts of other existing things that they loved growing up, you know? I love that for them. I love that. That's very sweet. Going back to the idea of the apartment as well and that kind of claustrophobia, you know, Lee Cronin talked about in that interview about how he wrote this during covid lockdown and that was very much playing at the forefront of his mind this idea of being trapped and isolated from each other as well and maybe you're with your closest family or loved ones but that's it kind of thing but you know how did you find that change of the geography of the space i suppose of of having all of the horror rather than in these big sprawling woods enclosed in this kind of high-rise apartment block it actually worked phenomenally for me um perhaps because it is just a tad more relatable it's recognizable because a lot of us do live if not in high rises then definitely in flats or apartments or you know houses you don't necessarily need to go to a remote cabin in the woods that looks spooky Mm -hmm. in order to feel the terror of being trapped and the fact that everything is broken not in an absurdist (laughs) way but everything is just a little bit run down Mm. sort of glitchy the lights are flickering you know i live in in kind of a building that isn't the newest so (laughs) there is an element there of like it's not spooky by default it's not creepy by nature but the fact that nothing will work as it's supposed to, Mm -hmm. is just a brilliant setting for a horror movie. Because when you need things to work, they will inevitably fail. Mm -hmm. Like when they can't open the parking lot um, door because it needs to be angled just in the right way because it doesn't, it's too old to really function anymore. It just gives you so much more fodder for things going awry and characters being in in peril. And when you're dealing with a supernatural um, formless evil that then becomes, you know, too formed uh, into this giant meatball creature, (laughs) then like nothing, everything needs to work perfectly. You just need it to work because you've got a split second to escape. I think that really added to the tension and the fact that they're just in this in this high rise building that is this one dodgy lift. Like they're constantly trapped and enclosed in these small spaces. It just adds to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it turns into a, a siege movie. I think more than 
even the previous movies have been. Yeah. And I'm a sucker for a siege movie. Right. There's yeah. something quite satisfying about a kind of high-rise b- movie, whether exactly like whether it's something like The Raid even or Dread or a kind of more classic horror. The, the, the kind of verticality of a high-rise, I think, you know, makes for good storytelling, I think. But the fact that they just need to get down to the ground level yeah. and they can't, you know. And also because it adds to this very urban fear of there's so many people around me, but nobody's going to help you. Yeah. Everybody could be a dead-eyed and nobody will help you. Yeah. It's the combination of two fears. One of them grounded, the other one not really. As a, as a Londoner, I, I recognise that intensely. The idea that you can have a possessed woman banging on your door, looking to cheese grate your skin off, and you still won't ask your neighbour for help. <laughs> exactly. No, everything's fine. No, good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And what did you guys make of the of the performances? You know, not just Lily and Elisa, who are kind of the adults that are carrying the the film, but also the kids. I mean, the kids, they're all great, aren't they? I kind of really, you, I think the film does very economically build a history of this family. You know, you get that there is the estranged aunt who they haven't talked about. You get that there was some sort of messy separation between this these this parents. There is this absent father figure. Um, you get that the siblings love each other and are there for each other and protect each other right and I think there is just enough between all of them they all have their own interests hobbies whether it's the one that you know has all the vinyls or whatever the little girl with the kind of creepy dolls and toys you know it's all of these characters have actual personalities and they shine through so well through these performances and it doesn't have to be massively in depth it it does it in a very economic way where suddenly I find I care about all of them and want them to prevail and then of course because this is a mean-spirited Evil Dead movie that isn't the case and it makes it all the more horrific so (laughs) yeah I think the characters and the performances sort of nailed it in that regard yeah Yeah, it's a dangerous thing isn't it to have you know to bring children actors child actors into into a movie like this because there's obviously a great history of great child performances in horror movies, but there's a, equally a uh, a more ignoble history of terrible performances from from kids as well. And I thought they were all really, really solid. Uh, the only one who seems obviously to be wreathed in plot armor is is Cassie, who's played by by Nell Fisher, and she's great. I mean, this this movie is basically like Lee Cronin has popped an Evil Dead movie, Aliens and Demons 2 into a blender and just gone and then cheese grated it for a bit. (laughs) And she's got strong newt energy as well. I even wonder if Cassie is a play on the fact that newt stolen aliens is called Casey. I wonder if there might be a a sort of an element there in the origin of her name. But uh, yeah, she's really, really great. And the other two kids are great as well because they're not, I don't think... For me, they're not from central casting, if you know what mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah. Uh, there there's feels like there's a bit of edge and a bit of grit to them, and they haven't quite taken the the path that's most trodden. They've they've got a little bit of idiosyncrasies going on, and that's unusual. Mm, they're a little bit bratty as well, which I really like. You know, mm-hmm. like they make mistakes. They're guided by their um by their instincts, which you know I know she's a child, but did I? very quietly scowl at Cassie when she lets the, her dead-eyed mother in through the door? Yes, I did. Oh, of course. You're in a horror movie, babes. So you I should know. know better. I know you're five, but you should know better at this point. Um, <laughs> no, I, I love them, and I love the connection between between them as well. Mm. How they're bickering like siblings, how they're trying, you know, 
especially Danny, who's the one who sort of unleashes the curse by playing the vinyl, mm. feels so guilty afterwards and has to wrestle with all of this horror that he's unleashed onto his family because of his curiosity. Mm. And they don't just let that go. They kind of you know, spend some time with it. They have a conversation about it. And it's it's the heart. It, I think the kids are the heart of the movie at the end of the day. Agreed. Um, well, before we wrap up, I guess we should just quickly speculate on where where this might go next. Because one of the other things I found quite interesting about this movie is how does it fit in with the previous films? Do you see this set in the same universe as Ash's Evil Dead? Because we sort of get an origin story of how the Necronomicon ends up in the cabin in the woods here, right? Yeah, but it's, it's set in present day, sure. roughly. Yeah. So it's not necessarily a origin story for Ash's timeline. Mm-hmm. But it does explain quite a lot about the Necronomicon. Yeah. And how it reaches that spot. And I guess I guess what it could be doing is starting a new yeah. timeline, yeah. I guess. Yeah. See, I didn't I didn't get that reading from a mic that this was the origin of how the Necronomicon or the evil ended up at that cabin. Because I didn't see that to be the same cabin. Sure. Because, mm. yeah. but it, I might be completely wrong about that, but uh, it felt to me like it's setting up a number of things. And if you did want to go down the road where you say this isn't an, an origin story necessarily, but this is a sequel to... A, you know, deep, many many years down the line from the first Evil Dead, and then you can—I I can absolutely see Ash working in this world. Mm. I can see you crashing Bruce Campbell into this world, and the tone would would mesh a little bit more than I think it would have done with Mia and the 2013 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, requel boot make, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but I think also it sets up an awful lot of potential prequels slash sequels. We have that weird cult of priests. Yes. Yeah. Who are who are somehow in, in you know in, investigating the the Necronomicon or the book? I can't remember what they call it in this movie, but uh, you know they're investigating the book, they're overseeing the book, they're protecting the book, and you you can almost see like a Prince of Darkness style movie mm. where you're where you're following those guys for a little bit, uh, and then of course there's the what happens in the cabin that could be a movie in itself, like a set off something in itself, and then there's what happens with with Beth uh, as well at the end of the movie, but the the beginning of the movie I think is fascinating in terms of setting up sequels yeah. because the movie's called Evil Dead Rise and obviously mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a play on High Rise obviously but at the end of the the prologue when you have the possessed girl rising up into the air which is something we really haven't seen Deadites do that often it has mm-hmm. happened from time to time Ed does it in the greatest movie ever made Evil Dead 2 and there's a couple of times uh, Henrietta does it as well Cheryl does it in front of the window Cheryl right does in it, the original yeah, that's true yeah. yeah so they can fly mm-hmm. they can fly uh, but she rises up and then it has that wonderful title reveal which I think mm-hmm. is one of my favourite title reveals in a long long time and this is the first one that made me think oh what are they, what's her end game here yeah what's her end game is this the first time we've really seen uh, the Deadites going alright okay nice planet we'll take it Right. You know, is there a little bit of, of that going on here? So is that why the movie ends where it begins with that evil still out there in the world unvanquished? Well, it is unleashed mm-hmm. by the events in the high rise, right? Yes. So we kind of start at the end, mm-hmm. as, you, uh, as you've as you kind of just described. Like we start with the Deadites kind of 
reaching out into the woods and perhaps beginning their domination of the woods instead of the high rise. And what I also find quite um, intriguing about Evil Dead Rise is outside of the really gorgeous production design, it's the amount of time we spend with the book as an object. Mm -hmm. Because usually it's quite a throwaway and it's got this almost like really fainty, spooky design to it. But this one is really tactile. Mm. It's written in blood. It's bound in flesh. It it's the first thing that hurts one of the kids when That's he tries right. to open it. Yeah, it's got it's locked with these jaws, and only opens up once it's tasted blood. So it's the thing that comes alive, really, and its power is unleashed in that way. And we don't really need to get that much into the the mythology of it. I think it just does just the right amount of spooky priests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> vinyls and really gross really physical flesh bound book and you know the book itself is bad news and once they open it there's no closing it back mm. so it does not actually it's such an open ended film because you cannot close that back into it Okay, so actually, what are we going to end up with? Uh, some sort of apocalyptic scenario where the Deadites destroy humanity, and then we end up at the end of Army of Darkness, where Ash wakes up in a post-apocalyptic world because oh it's be- because it's set after this timeline of Evil Dead Rise, and that's where we get our crossover. Evil Dead Apocalypse. Evil Dead Apocalypse in the multiverse of madness. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But but Lee Cronin did say to me in the interview you'll have just heard, you know, he did talk about how he, of course, you know, you never know what's going to happen. It depends how this movie does. But he had in his head that this could be the beginning of a new series of Evil Dead movies, which I think, you know, would be kind of exciting. Would you like to see more Evil this Dead one. movies off the back of this yes. one? Yes, especially if it manages, especially if they manage to straddle this good balance of being genuinely scary genuinely a visceral horror experience that works for 2023 and beyond viewers because you know we have different set of expectations from a horror movie than you know i'm imagining people in the early 80s did Mm. so as long as it marries that with the humor that we associate with the evil dead franchise i'd be up for that and the change of location is is very important obviously army of darkness stepped away from the cabin in the woods uh, it was briefly a windmill in the woods, but by and large, it was a castle on a back lot, and that's fine. Uh, but the fact that this steps away from the cabin in the woods and makes it work so well yeah. means that the, the sky is the limit. You can have Evil Dead anywhere you care to mention. In a podcast studio, in an airplane, in the White House, you could have Evil Dead just running rampant everywhere, and I'm all for that. And if there is a way, ultimately, to crash Ash into this this franchise... I think that would work. I mean, I know a lot of people have an have affection for Ash versus Evil Dead. Um, but for me, his story needs to finish on the big screen. Mm-hmm. And and you know, there was, there was, Ash versus Evil Dead emerged from separate conversations they were having about Evil Dead 4. And I know they were trying for years and years and years to make an Evil Dead 4. And, and, and obviously never got it off the ground. But I wonder if now the renewed enthusiasm and also the renewed enthusiasm for bringing back legacy characters yes in sequels might mean that we get to see Ash come back as long as they don't you know pull a Han Solo and kill him like a punk 20 minutes before the end of the movie that would be, that would be terrible but, but oh what would you want to see what? Ash do you could do something with the grizzled older version of Ash mm. that I think would work really really nicely what would be interesting is 
could you mesh that tonally? Because Ash, as the movies have been going on, you know, he's just a he's an arrogant asshole in Army of Darkness. So could you still have that character bounce into this world? I'd be fascinated to see, honestly. Um, but, you know, we shall see. Mom? Mommy's with the maggots now. So I think that's all we have to say on Evil Dead Rise, which will be hitting cinemas on the 21st of April. I mean, this has been a, a pleasure and we have not been possessed a single time during the making of this podcast. Woo! So, Chris, <laughs> where can we find more of your work online? I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. You can find me on the Empire Podcast pretty much every week. And we have spoiler special podcasts that you can subscribe to, including Evil Dead Rise with Lee Cronin. Uh, talking about that movie so that's going to be a lot of fun go to empire.supportingcast.fm to sign up for that what about you Mike? thank you this has been so much fun and I'm grateful to be you know done with all my limbs intact as well um, but yeah you can find me uh, on twitter at the movie Mike, and you can find my horror podcast with more horror discussions called the evolution of horror wherever you get your podcasts and you can find me on twitter and instagram at Anna Be Demented, uh, and you can subscribe to my horror podcast The Final Girl and you can pre-order my book Unlikable Female Characters anywhere where you order books just while you're there don't accidentally order the Necronomicon (laughs) (laughs) Dead by Dawn an Evil Dead podcast is produced by Mike Munzer and Anna Bogutskaya for Studio Canal it's hosted by Chris Hewitt Anna Bogutskaya and Mike Munzer and it's edited by Mike Munzer that's me (laughs) 